0: The Mojo Radio Show. We scour the planet to find the biggest names in health, creativity, wellness, strategy, brand, performance, management, and more.
1: This, this is going to be
2: crazy. This is Jason Overcome Redman. Hey, I'm David Hi, this is Cal Newport,
3: author of Deep Work. Today, this is Ryan Park. I'm Batman. This is Ivan Davies from my south. I'm
4: Andrea Burke from the Canadian National Women's Rugby Team. And Lucas Feet and Deed. This is Tate Butcher, Cage Fighter. This is the Mojo Radio Show. I'll be coming to see you Then we ask them the big
0: questions Oh man, this is such a great question You've actually landed right on
4: the mark That's another
3: really good question It was great talking to some clever dudes I've
4: gone probably a little bit more in depth with you than, uh, than I have in the book I've
5: done like 500 interviews, but nobody asked me about this (laughs) <laughs> oh, wow.
0: And sometimes we talk about darts.
5: There we go. Can I tell you, Dina, Gary's favorite sport is darts. How athletic is that?
3: I think it's
2: uh, interesting that it's your favorite, but I won't be judgmental. <laughs> yeah. Look, it's the only
5: sport that I know of where a prerequisite is a pint of beer and a cigarette. Come on, let's be honest.
0: The Mojo Radio Show. We don't take ourselves too seriously.
1: So you try throwing half a dozen darts in a row and just see how you go. Uh, my
4: friend. Okay. <laughs>
1: but we hope you will.
4: Welcome. I got my boo- to the Mojo radio show. But it just won't
1: work on you. Hey everybody and welcome to this week's edition of the Mojo Radio Show, the little program that we've designed to help you get your mojo working in or out of work. We just find interesting people that we think have their mojo working in some aspect of their world. We just sit down, have a chat to them, extract their opinions, their tips, their tools on stuff that we can take away to lead a better life, which is a Queensland term for better, uh, and get our own mojo working. So just before we start, let's go around in the studio, AP, in the house.
4: Yeah, 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 I'm here.
1: Now, mate, I know you always whinge because you don't get paid for the show, but I did bring you back a little present.
4: Oh, yeah? What's that?
1: I got you a bottle of Saga.
4: That'd be good. <laughs> Ooh. Looking forward to sharing it with somebody else.
5: Will you know what to do with that?
1: Oh, yeah, <laughs> you'll know what to do with it. But I haven't forgotten our producer, Robbo. I got you a little oh. present as well. Nice. These are, get this, these are sake flavoured Tim Tams. Oh, nice.
5: (laughs) Hey, the Japanese do it in style, don't they? I tell you what. Uh, Don't say I (laughs) wasn't thinking about you boys.
1: Uh, Lola, good morning. Welcome to the show.
0: Hello, boys.
1: Yes, Now I, I actually couldn't work out what do you buy an automated studio assistant. Yeah. What do you buy? Maybe I, maybe I should have bought her a Japanese app.
5: <laughs> just, I, I think, <laughs> you know what, I think Lola would appreciate a kimono. I think she would.
1: A, a sake app. <laughs> uh, all right, let's get into it.
4: The Mojo Radio Show.
1: So just before we introduce our guest this week, can I give you an observation from the streets of Japan? Sure. So whilst I was over there and we were recording, I was at WeWork. Now, for those people who aren't familiar with WeWork, it's a global kind of very, very cool co-working space. It's worth twenty billion dollars. Is it really? And yeah, and they're only ten wow. years old. Wow! Uh, and it could be worth more by now because that stat's probably a couple of <laughs> months old. But. <laughs> I used one in Shibuya and then the second day when we recorded I was in Rapongi. and these are super cool creative spaces which are fully decked out, free beer, kombucha, sake, coffee, tea, the whole bit and you basically, once you're a member, uh, it's a monthly thing, you can you can work in them anywhere in the world and I've been into San Diego and Auckland and obviously wow. here in Australia around the place. But anyway, what I'm finding quite interesting is that big business now is starting to get onto this idea. And the reason I raise it is that I love WeWork. It's such a great global community, but now Office Depot, who are a retail outlet in the States, we get your office supplies and printing and stuff done. They're doing their own co-working space. And so are Staples. Now, Staples are another kind of office works type thing as we would have here in Australia across the States. And The reason I raise it is because I think this feeds into a trend that we talked about many seasons ago on the show. You know how we talked about the digital nomad Mm. and mobility Mm. and people working from home and stuff. Now, the downside to working from home, as you would agree, is it can be quite isolating. So if you get a couple of weeks where you don't get the interesting emails or work going on or the telephone doesn't ring, you suddenly think, man, I'm being forgotten. So- these co-working spaces are a place you can go to where you feel as though you're in amongst the hustle and bustle of whatever city or town you're in, but you are paying for a desk or a couch or an office or a room. Uh, so you get that feeling, but you're not isolated. And the reason I raise it is because I love work. I still think they're the global leader. They're an incredible brand, and I absolutely love what they do and I love being a part of it. But now you're seeing other brands saying, well, it's a good idea. How do we do our own version to add value to our offer? So
5: I just thought it was an interesting observation. Very good. And Mr WeWork, I think Gary's just earned himself a week's free rent. (laughs) (laughs) And some more free
1: kombucha. I'm Anna Devenna. I'm also known as the Sleep Muse. I help people get a great night's sleep.
0: And often when people are struggling with sleep, I suggest that they listen To the Mojo Radio Show,
1: and when they do, they fall asleep instantly. So today's show is about wisdom. But before we begin, oh Jesus, we're in trouble already. (laughs) This is a this is a tenuous link. Before we start talking about wisdom. I've got a new segment for you and the segment is called Get to Know Your Podcast Producer. Oh, right.
5: You're looking for and loads of wisdom, mate.
1: this week we get to know Darren Voodoo Robbo Robertson. Right. Are the you only ready to play room. Robbo? I think I am. Do I want to? <laughs> okay. One question and one question only because we'd love like right. to keep it light and bright as we say in the radio industry. Yep. Uh, dead or alive tell yeah. us the person who is your greatest creative inspiration Ah, oh, no
5: brainer billy connolly why why Ah, oh, uh actually i was on youtube before and if i play you this clip it would totally sum it up
3: people say it's it's a it's a limited vocabulary it makes you swear well i don't think so so, uh, and uh, because my vocab, I know at least—oh my God—about 127 words, <laughs> and I still prepare fuck. <laughs> you see, I've never found the English equivalent for fuck off, and, and it isn't go away. <laughs> Because go away kind of dissipates, doesn't it? Go away! Go away! Shoo. Shoo! Go away! Go away! There's no conscience like, Fuck off! It always works, you know. And You never read, Fuck off, he hinted.
5: So, look, there's a million reasons that I love Billy Connolly, but, but to, it, the one thing that sums them all up is basically that, yes, he's specifically talking about swearing, but if you look at Billy's life in general, his total attitude to life is I am who I am, take me or leave me. And for me, that's just a, a no-brainer way to live your life.
1: Sounds a bit like our show. Yes, it does. Ladies and
4: gentlemen, if you are just tuning in, we are going to kick ass. The Mojo Radio Show.
1: Those who tuned in last week will remember I spoke about the fact that the workforce on the streets of Tokyo had some serious miles under their bonnet. And this is not some. I'm talking about it was very evident. And when I mentioned it to people that I was talking with, they went, actually, you're right. And... There were, I'm, I'm talking about senior workers on whether it be construction sites, uh, train services, uh, working on security, going in and out of buildings, hospitality, customer service, you name it. There seems to be in Japan, no age barrier when you're working. And I think it's awesome. Mm-hmm. And as I saw a poster that age is only relevant if you are a cheese.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> nice. So anyway- I know if you listened to last week's show, uh, I did mention that I'd read a book by a guy called Chip Conley and he wrote a book called Wisdom at Work, The Making of a Modern Day Elder. And it's all about what happens basically on the streets of Japan where people that we consider to be at the elderly part of their life actually have so much more to offer. And I think it's an interesting concept and quite contrary to what or how we see retirement and age, Chip himself, is considered to be a bit of a rebel hospitality entrepreneur. And apart from being a New York Times bestselling author of the book I mentioned, Chip disrupted his favourite industry, which is hospitality, not once but twice. When he was a young fella, he started Jeu de Vive, which was an inner city motel in America that he created into the second largest boutique hotel brand across the country. Then he sold it. Uh, after 24 years. And what happened then is the founders, the co-founders of Airbnb asked him to transform their promising startup into what's now the world's leading hospitality brand. And originally he was Airbnb's head of global hospitality and strategy. And he's now transitioned today to be Airbnb's strategic advisor for hospitality and leadership. It's just a great story. This guy is absolutely at the top of his game. And then he had this interesting perspective on wisdom and what we call the elderly or now the elders. So I wrote to Chip. Thankfully, he has put aside some time to join us here on the show. So, Chip, welcome to the Mojo Radio show, mate.
2: Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I, um, one of my books had a subtitle of Mojo in it, uh, how to get your. Uh, a great company for their mojo from maslow uh so i i i appreciate the name
1: so today when somebody says to you chip what do you do how do you like to reply Mm. (laughs) um
2: i like to sort of focus on what i'm what my goal is or what i'm accomplishing um so if i were to <clears throat> Peter Drucker's famous management theorist, he said the most important question a person can ask himself is what business am I in? And I think I, I used to be in the business of identity refreshment as a boutique hotelier. And then at Airbnb the past six years, I was in the belong anywhere business. And now, um, having created something called the Modern Elder Academy, I am in the wisdom cultivation and harvesting business.
1: Oh, we've never had one one of them before. We could do with some of that. (laughs) (laughs) So, Chip, if we just camp there for a second, if you look back through your very distinguished career, and I love the way you have gone through this reinvention, reimagining your world, which we'll get on to. What do you put down your ability to enjoy longevity in your career? What's what do you think is the is the the silver lining in that? What what is it? It's curiosity.
2: I think the uh, the curiosity uh, didn't maybe <laughs> might have killed a cat, although I think it actually made the cat a lot more interesting. Um, so I think curiosity has been almost like a, a life affirming elixir for me in the sense that it has helped me when I was in my mid 20s ask why is it that um the big hotel chains are just selling predictability why can't boutique hotels be more about the experience locally or six years ago joining the Airbnb founders who had started their little start um tech startup and wanted to become a global hospitality company how could we create a global hospitality brand around home sharing um so I um, and then curiosity lately about you know, how do we help people in midlife repurpose themselves uh, and uh, uh, reimagine themselves in all kinds of new ways. So I think curiosity, which is a quality that we had when we were four years old, but it sort of gets, it, it gets beaten out of us <laughs> as, we, as we go through the educational system and then we become adults, and so we think we're supposed to have all the answers. Well, I've been more and more thinking that what's really interesting is having the great questions.
1: I've got a question for you about your website. It says that in the about you section, about chip section, it says you are the leading authority at the intersection of psychology and business. What my question is based on what you just said about your longevity and curiosity is I'm curious to know what's right at the heart of that intersection of psychology and business. What's the most important point right at the center of those crossroads?
2: I I would say it's the recognition that <clears throat> the most neglected fact in business is that we're all human, and um, it would be uh, an exceptional depth of of understanding. So I, I think that the, at, at the core is, is an idea of um, having emotional. Uh, intelligence, which includes both self-awareness as well as other, other person awareness.
1: So, Chip, you said the two things you wanted from your work or your business was creativity and freedom. And then there came a point where you felt like you didn't have those things. And so you sold the company. What I'm curious about was, was that a, a, something that gradually happened that was in the back of your mind for a long time? Or was it a self-realisation one day where something happened? You went, you know what? This, I'm not, I'm not getting those two things. Was it a gradual thing or an immediate thing? And what was the what was the point that actually made you pull the trigger to sell a company that was very, very close to your heart?
3: Yeah,
2: I, I I'd had no idea that I would be selling the company. Um, when I uh, started the company, I sort of imagined i had been doing it for fifty years, but. About 22 years into it, I had a, a flatline experience. I w- had broken my ankle playing baseball. I had a cut on my leg that had, a, had gotten fertilizer in it from the baseball field. Um, and I had a septic leg, which led me to having a strong antibiotic that I had an allergic reaction to. And after giving a speech, I went flatline, which means that I basically died. So when you die, <laughs> you have the opportunity... To reimagine your life. And um, after I came to, I, I said, you know what? I, I'm i not happy doing what I'm doing. This was uh, August of 2008. We were going into the Great Recession. And uh, I made a commitment to myself that I would, over the next couple of years, figure out a way to... Uh, no longer be in the position running this company uh, that I'd been running at that point for 22 years. And so within two years, I sold the company. Uh, it was not the best timing to sell the company because the, uh, you know we we're at the, dot, the bottom of the Great Recession. But from my perspective, uh, I knew I needed to move on. And, I, and the thing that I kept thinking of was the fact that I don't have creativity or freedom uh, in my work life on a daily basis anymore.
1: It's interesting, Chip. Does that something you use in the modern elders academy? Do you ever sort of use it as a tool to take people to that point where, although they we hope they never will, but if they ever got to that point of flatlining or reimagining their world, is that something you use as a tool when you're mentoring or something you use at the academy to get people to that point to really evaluate where they're at?
2: Yes. I, I, I mean, we don't, try to, we don't try to kill them and bring them back. <laughs> uh, you know, and that, that, could be, that could be one of our approaches in the future. Yeah. Um, you know, but, um, but, yeah, we definitely help people to look at their lives uh, as if if they were to die tomorrow, what level of regret would they have post death <laughs> you know generally when you die you don't have regrets you don't have any kind of emotions as far as i know but you um, what if what if you did die tomorrow what would feel what's the box of unlived life that feels unlived and unloved and and that's a really important question to ask and we do ask that at the academy and it is the kind of thing i asked myself uh, 11 years ago, when I had that flatline experience, it did lead me to selling the company that I thought I'd never sell, which opened me up. And and I was able to see what could em- emerge from that open space in my life. And that's what led to the Airbnb founders uh, approaching me.
1: When you name the company, because what's really, oh, I don't think I've ever heard it before, but the name of the company was actually the mission of the company. Was that intentional or was that something that Came out the back of it, you went. Oh, actually, that's that's pretty cool.
2: It was completely intentional. There was very because when you when you call something in a country that doesn't know the language, uh, a foreign language as your ma- as your name, you're, you, especially one that's not easy to spell, and most people don't know what it means. Um, it was a very daring title for the company. Uh, but what I, the one thing I did love about it is there are very few companies. Uh, who have a mission statement that's the same as the name of the company. And our, our mission statement was creating joy of life, uh, first and foremost for our employees, and then secondarily for our customers.
1: How closely was that aligned to your own personal mission? Very. Um, I knew on a personal level that
2: uh, you know happiness and joy are two different things. And, and uh, I learned that somehow at a very early age. Someone once said to me, happiness is a solid and joy is a liquid and what what they meant by that is like happiness in life is is usually the tangible things <clears throat> and once you've actually gotten the tangible things you sort of want the next tangible thing the next shiny object joy is something that's sort of more ever present and it's it's a way of being it's less less driven by you know c- circumstantial things so i was like interested in like okay how do I create more joy in my life? Because it may have nothing to do with my circumstances. It may have to do with my, my mindset. And so, yes, so Joao de vivre meant a lot to me. Uh, and so it was a per, sort of a personal mission statement mm. as well.
1: Having heard a lot of your interviews and watched a lot of videos, you you seem to be a person who does live intentionally. And that, that word, living intentionally or, or uh, intentional living, is getting a lot of bandwidth today as more and more people I suspect are looking to concentrate on what's important to them. But we're in a really distracted, fast-paced world. And what you've the, the way you reframed, it, you said it's not just about reinvention, but also reintention. And I just wondered whether you could explain right. that for us is that whole living intentionally, but then re-intentioning versus reinventing?
2: Well, um, so the idea of reinventing is feels really hard, quite honestly. I mean, it doesn't mean you can't do it, but it's almost like how do you turn a duck into a dog? I mean, they're two different things. And so sometimes people don't reinvent themselves because they feel like it's too hard to do. Reintention is actually re- re- recognizing that you are a duck um, but the question is, how could you be the best kind of duck available? Um, and so I think to me, the idea that you can um, evolve as a duck and, you know, mm-hmm. where, wear, you know, where even more interesting duck clothes than trying to become a dog is um, within the realm of being able for anybody to be able to do. So I think that's part of the reason why it works for me.
1: Something that is very prevalent in your work, Chip, and your your writing is this identity. And something you spoke about in the book was how hard it is and how dangerous it is to be too attached to an identity and the fact that we become too attached to it and that we can't shake off that tag. Is there a kind of a psychological process that people can go through to evaluate their identity and then work out how they may shift that identity?
2: Uh, yes. Uh, we act, that's something we do at the academy. Um, there's a whole exercise we do. I, I won't go through the full exercise, but what I will say is um, imagine if you were just by yourself and you had maybe a, a half dozen or a dozen name tags that were, that were in front of you on, on, a, on a table and you could write down the variety of identities that define you or have been defining you. Um, so for me, I, you know, I might say, okay, well, I have been, you know, the CEO of Shawat Aviv. And that's a, I'll write that down on a name tag. I'll put that on my chest. And then you go ahead and put those on your chest and then once you've done that, go and look in yourself in the mirror and say, okay, I've got a lot of identities. I'm a father. I am a you know political activist. I am a marathon runner. I am, you know, on the, you know, the I'm an elder at my church, whatever it is. And then look at all those and then say, you know what? How many of those are past tense and how many of them should be future tense? And the process of moving through all of the accumulated identities and responsibilities is, to me, what happens in midlife. Midlife is about letting go, or maybe you know, taking off your, getting it off your chest, some of these identities that no longer serve you. So, for me, one of those, frankly, was being the CEO of Joie de Vivre. I was, it was a very dominant identity, identity for me. And the, and the, you know, when the company was doing well, I felt great about myself when the company was doing badly. I felt badly about myself. So it was very much something I, I identified with that identity, but the process of actually, I think going through midlife is learning which of your identities or which name tags are supposed to come off. And you spend the first half of your life accumulating, you spend the second half of your life editing. And I think learning how to edit your identities is part of, the way, why, part of the reason why people tend to get happier in their 50s than their 40s. That's gold.
1: And that is absolute gold, Chip. That is, that is absolute gold. We've had this identity thread going through the show. We interviewed a sports psychologist called Dr. Simon Marshall back in, geez, season five, I think, maybe early on. And since then we've had this identity thread, but I have had no one articulate an exercise so well that people could start to put that together and and edit it. That is absolute gold.
2: Well, go do it.
1: (laughs) No, I've already taken – in fact, I almost didn't have anything left to come back to you with because I was making so many notes here on my pad. Anyway, um, Chip, we've got an interview coming up shortly with a guy called Todd Herman who wrote Alter Ego and – one of the questions I've got for Todd is that intersection between identity and alter ego. Is alter ego something you use in your own thinking? Is it something you personally adopt? Do you use it at the academy?
2: The alter ego? Huh. Not really. I mean, I'd love to learn more. I, I don't know enough about it. I mean, I know what an alter ego could be, but I, I would probably want to hear more about it. I, I, I love the idea of it. I actually think one of the things we learned at the academy and we've learned about... Um, midlife is that the operating system that defines the first first half of our life is often our ego. And if you think about just what the ego is, the ego is this thing that helps to mm-hmm. individuate us when we're children, when we're babies. It allows us to separate a little bit from our parents. And we start identifying with that ego. And frankly, that ego, if we you know, can get really large and big and you can get over-identified with it, and then there's a point at your, in your life where you start to realize it, that's that's the identities and the sense of personality. It's almost too much, and I think the operating system for the second half of life is is your soul, and it's your, your you, know, you, you move from the operating system of your ego to your operating system of your soul. And part of the reason you go there is because of the fact that you know at some point the, the ego and your body are going to mm. die, and you get bigger, you get interested in some of the bigger questions in life. So I think and that's different than alter ego, although I'd want to understand more about alter ego to know if there's some similarities in that thinking.
1: Just if we can camp there for a second, Chip, because I think this is very prevalent to your own personal world right now. You seem to live and have always lived a very intentional life, and you speak in the book and in your interviews about focusing on what matters. And when you and I started talking about being on the show, which was late in 2018, you got that phone call of a diagnosis, which yep. is that call that none of us ever want to get. And you got it. Yeah. How, and that took you to that place where having those labels on that you were suddenly starting to be that person that could be on the deathbed when you had that diagnosis. Take us to that time and how did that diagnosis reframe? how you you actually see what's important today
2: so i was on the second day of my book tour uh in september 2018 the book is wisdom at work the making of a modern elder um i was it was the, i was also in new york um because the very next day um i was going to be giving a ted talk at ted headquarters that ultimately went onto the ted.com website in october so here I am on the second day of my book tour. The day before I'm giving a TED Talk, I'm at a TED speaker's dinner in New York, and I knew I'm getting a call from my, my urologist, my doctor, to tell me about the results of the biopsy they'd done. But he had given me some heads up in advance and said, it's probably not a problem. I think there's a 20% chance of something going wrong uh, or something being of, of, of concern. So I said, Well, I'll be at this Ted speaker's dinner that night when you'll call me. So just know that that's the plan. He he didn't call me at the right time. And then 25 minutes later he called me, but I didn't see that the phone had gone. So I like, oh I'm just like, oh, i got to get a hold of this guy. Finally got a hold of him a half hour later while I'm at the dinner, and he just said, Are you sitting down? And that's not the thing you want to hear from your urologist when you know you're gonna hear about cancer. And he basically said, you've got intermediate stage prostate cancer. Um, and at your age, at that point I was 57, the pathology report is bad enough that, you know, we may need to to do surgery or radiation, you know, relatively soon. Um, and uh, I, I won't go into any more details about what came up then, but I had to sort of take a step and say, whoa, <laughs> this is not, you know, I'm, I'm on a... Book tour. The second day on the book tour. I'm doing to be a TED talk tomorrow. This is not what I expected. I'm launching our Modern Elder Academy six weeks from now, so I, I had to really dig deep to sort of say, okay, um, how do I both give myself the space to figure this out because I, I never knew a thing about can- about prostate cancer, <clears throat> while at the same time being committed to you know just two to three speeches a day. During the next few weeks. So um, the good news is, <clears throat> six weeks later, he said, based upon a genome study they did of me, that he felt like the path of cancer growth was going to be slow enough so that I don't have to do an immediate surgery or radiation. And they're just going to be watching it and having me do a bunch of supplements and other things, that uh, acupuncture, et cetera. So, um, but it was another wake up call. You know, it's funny how your body does this to you. (laughs) It's like the body, the body has been a wake up call for me multiple times in my life. You know, I had my flatline experience 11 years ago. I have cancer and, and actually that the cancer was an interesting timing. It was exactly at the moment where we were looking at doing our second or third third modern elder academy with the first one being in mexico on a, on a beach uh three acre campus we were looking at a second one in in uh in hawaii and a third one in northern california and i had to then pull the plug and say you know what we're not going to do the second and the third one right now we are going to exclusively focus on this first one i'm going to take my my foot off the gas this is a social enterprise by the way it's non-profit so i'm not trying to have dots on the map to to create market share i I'm actually trying to make a difference in terms of helping people in midlife figure out what's next for them. And so instead of trying to do the, you know, the get big um, path, I said, like, let's let's instead get deep. Let's just do this deep and well with our singular location so much so that it's a catalyst for other people to create their own version of a midlife wisdom school that might be called something different. In a modern elder academy, and that's where I've been ever since. So I'm, you know, good news. Is I'm, uh, I, I am not in radiation, not in surgery. Um, I was with my doctor today, and you know, there's been no growth of the cancer. Uh, so I'm on active, what's called active surveillance on it. Um, but it also helped me to it's like helped cancer. Cancer became a teacher to me of saying, Chip, you know, you're at a stage in your life where you've you've had a lot of successes and instead of speeding ahead like you normally do maybe instead you're supposed to actually savor what you're doing with this um, and you know create a, something that's strong enough so that other people want to replicate it
1: do you know that's it's interesting chip because when you say it's funny how the body gives you signals flatlining and cancer probably are too let's say on the on the scale extreme <laughs> is there is there an audit when you're sitting on your deck in Baja looking out at the ocean, is there an audit you now do with yourself? Because sadly, a lot of people, when they get those wake-ups from the body, they end up being fatal because it's too late. Is there an audit you do on yourself now mm-hmm. that doesn't require you to go to the extreme, that you just keeps you focused on what's important?
2: Yeah, well, I think I, I try to meditate every morning. Um, and I, there's some things I'm just not good at. I'm not very good at yoga, um, but I but I am actually pretty good at. I enjoy meditating, and it helps slow my mind down. It helps me to, to gain some awareness. You know, the thing that's really true about I think about life is that when you're in the constant um, pursuit uh, of something, you don't notice what's happening inside, and um, so meditation is a form of slowing down and. And being a little more awake and aware of what's going on inside. And I, t- I try to t- look at my life also as um, a, a balance between attaining and attuning. Attaining basically is a very male hunter um, and gather energy. It's perfectly fine. I'm a man, so I have that energy. But the truth is that when I'm in the attaining mode, I often have to atone for things later because I'm usually, you know, get out of my way and I'm gonna I may have sharp elbows. And when I'm in the attaining mode, I, I don't listen to myself, you know, very well. And there's certain things in life that are meant to be attuning sports. Surfing, which I'm learning, is an attuning sport. You attune to the wave. <clears throat> Yoga is an attuning sport. And when you attune, you're more at one, you're in harmony with something. So The other way I look at this in my life is when do I need to be in the attain mode and when do I need to be in the attune mode? And when it came to Joie de Vivre growing it, I was an attainer. When it came to Airbnb, I was an attainer much of the time, but I was an attuner as well because I actually, Brian, the CEO, who I'm the in-house mentor for him, he's such a dynamo going attain, attain, attain. I at times had to be his conscience in the attuned mode in a variety of ways. And then for the Modern Elder Academy, I've moved to the other side and just said, listen, I'm in the attune mode here. This is not about market share growth. This is about attuning with what I'm learning from this in such a way that we create such a high guest satisfaction, student satisfaction in this experience, that the world needs more of these. And, and you know, others see that and they can go out and then attain creating a second, third, fourth, and 10th of those.
1: Man, it's so good. And would it, would it be fair to say that in the attuning area of our minds, when we're in that, say, identity, is it important that curiosity, is curiosity a big part of that, Chip? Would you say that going back to where we started this conversation about your longevity around curiosity, do you think curiosity is a stepping stone into true attuning?
2: Yes. I, I think cu- what curiosity does is it opens up possibilities. Um, my I define myself now as a modern elder, whatever that is. And a modern elder is, in my mind, is different than the traditional elder. The elder of the past was regarded with reverence. Uh, you had to listen to your elders. But the modern elder is not about reverence, they're about relevance. And the way you, you are relevant is you're curious and you are constantly learning about modern-day problems and issues. I had to learn about home sharing as a hotelier, which didn't make sense to me when I first started learning about Airbnb. But I had to be open and curious to like, why is it that this this little company is growing so quickly amongst millennials? Um, and so that I think curiosity opens up possibilities, and wisdom actually allows you to uh, distill down what's important or essential. So I think a modern elder, uh, myself included, is a, a perfect alchemy of curiosity and wisdom, with the curiosity opening up the possibilities and the wisdom being able to sort through all those possibilities to determine what's important and essential. And when you can do both of those things well, wow, the world is your oyster. Oh,
1: gold. Chip, you just mentioned Brian Chesky. Can I ask, ask you a question about Brian? Yeah. You, you've obviously gotten very close over the years. When Two, two things with, with walking into Brian Chesky, one of the founders of Airbnb. When he approached you to work with the business, did you have a default voice that started to, was disempowering to start doubt yourself? Was there a voice in the back of your head? Because- they're they're pretty impressive guys and they're a lot younger than you. Was there a default voice that actually in the back of your mind said, I don't know if I can do this?
2: Yeah. The the default voice was, wow, I don't, I've never been in a tech company before. I was 52 at that time and I didn't understand tech lingo. And so I felt really out of my natural habitat and um, I was twice the average age of the employees in the company. So yeah, there was a part of me that felt like, shit, you know, excuse me, but I, this is this is a point in my life where I should be just coasting and enjoying myself, and I've had some successes. Why am I putting myself in a position where this could be, a, you know, a glorious failure that, you know, is frankly very public? Um, and so, yeah, I think if you're constantly worried that you're going to fail, you're likely to fail. So I, what I had to get over was forget about the failure, focus on the curiosity. Um, And the curiosity was like, okay, well, how could I become more knowledgeable about tech? How can I use this as an opportunity to learn an industry I don't know much about? And, And that's really what I did.
1: I read a book a couple of years ago on Airbnb. It was called The Airbnb Story, and it talked a lot about Brian. And one of the things that I still to this day remember vividly from the book, there was a quote from Brian who said, where people think Airbnb is today we were there two years ago and it just seemed like he had this ability to be able to think way ahead and then execute. But that's, that's from me reading a book. I'd be interested from somebody who is very, very close to Brian. Mm -hmm. What's the greatest business skill that you would say you admire about Brian Chesky?
2: Well, there's, you know, he's got a growth mindset. So you can either have a fixed or a growth mindset in life. And, and frankly, one person can have fixed in certain parts of your life, growth in other parts. A growth mindset is different than a fixed mindset in the sense that with a fixed mindset, you tend to be focused on um, proving yourself and uh, what defines success is winning. Whereas with a growth mindset, you're not focused on proving yourself, you're focused on improving yourself. And the, and the definition of success is learning not winning brian is very focused on a growth mindset he really wants to improve himself that defines the company so the company is less focused on winning than than learning and growing and that kind of willingness to try new things and sometimes mm. fall down but be willing to learn in the process really defines why the company has grown so quickly
1: just before I let you go, so I'm very conscious of your time, just a couple of quick things. You You seem like a person, as we are, that likes the movies and you take pieces and learnings and philosophies from movies. And one you speak a lot about is Robert De Niro in The Intern. And I've often heard you say the quote, musicians don't retire, they quit when there's no more music left inside them. And at this point, you still have the curiosity, the drive, to take on new things like surfing take on new businesses like the, the, the Academy. What, what is the soundtrack? If you had to name that soundtrack that is playing inside you, what, who's the artist and what's the song?
2: It's uh, U U2, beautiful day. It's a beautiful day. Um, and it would be that because uh, whenever I hear that song, and I'm not, I'm not a huge Bono fan and U2 fan, but I love that song because whenever I hear it, I just get a big smile erupting on my face. Um, and I do think that <clears throat> that point of view, that it's a beautiful day, it is um, a great way to see one's life. Uh, even, even when it doesn't feel like a beautiful day and it's, it's <laughs> raining outside. Uh, there's, uh, there's always, you know, which doesn't happen in, 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 Sydney. You guys are in Sydney, right? Yeah. You have, you're you just, it's always sunny there. Um, <laughs> we wish, yeah. you know, one of my favorite urban runs in the world is that Coogee to Bondi run. Yeah, like, right. Just, you know, that's a, that's a great thing. Or is it, is it Bronte? No, it's C- Bronte. Coogee's further out, right?
1: Bronte to Bondi, yeah.
2: Oh, Bronte, okay. Bronte to Bondi. Yeah, yeah. That's a great run. Um, so yes, that would be my, my soundtrack.
1: A couple of quick things before we go. It's been said of you that you don't listen to the story but you listen for the story. What's what's the sound what's the dialogue in your mind when you're talking or mentoring somebody? What are you saying or what are you going through in your mind when you're listening for the story?
2: Well, the, yeah, the difference is to the story is literal and for the story is figurative and and it's important you listen for both because if you're not actually catching the story and you have to ask a lot of questions later because you didn't really capture that, then that th- then the person thinks you didn't listen to them. But the thing is that if you get too caught up in the literal part of the story, you don't have much to offer in terms of pattern recognition or wise themes that you can point out because sometimes people can't see in their own life the thing that's so obvious to someone else. And so you need to be able to say to this person who's looking for some advice, um, you know, I noticed that you, you have a consistent sense of having to prove yourself or feeling like your boss or the person in power is somebody you have to fight. Mm. You know, um, have you ever noticed that? So that's the, that would be for the story. To the story would be that, you know, they tell you a series of things that are going on, um, now again, you don't just say that to anybody. This is in the case, someone who's, you know, wants some advice and, and, that, and therefore you can offer that.
1: There's something that you talked about that I think was really important for us, Chip. And I reckon a lot of people are going through this. You talked about the fact that people today are starting to feel invisible and people are fearing that and they're feeling less relevant. And it's probably been the success of our show is that how people frame that is I've lost my mojo. And people are feeling bland or vanilla, they're feeling off white. And I think a lot of it comes down to this feeling invisible or or, or am I still relevant? Why why is that happening? What are you observing?
2: Power is moving 10 years younger and we're all gonna live 10 years longer. And um, why is power moving 10 years younger? Well, seven of the 10 most valuable companies in the world today are tech companies. Um, Digital intelligence, or DQ, is particularly prized in all companies, not just in tech companies. And therefore, people who are younger, who have a strong digital fluency or prowess, um, in many cases are leapfrogging ahead of people who are older. Um, 40% of people in Australia, the US, Canada, England um, uh, have bosses that are younger than us now. So if we're going to, if power's moving 10 years younger and we're going to live 10 years longer, we have uh, created a new 20-year irrelevancy gap that didn't used to exist. And what we have to help people to see, and this is what we do at our Modern Elder Academy, is how do you make yourself relevant again?
1: Chip, we're mindful of time. We'll let you go. The latest book, which I loved. And I also, I would recommend the the audio book because I feel like you're talking with me uh, Mm, as opposed to a book and the way you link it all together. And it's very conversational. I really enjoyed it. And the resource section at the back is quite extraordinary with you list a whole bunch of your top tens of everything. And- um, yep. th- that book was Wisdom at Work, The Making of a Modern Day Elder, which I loved. And the other book that Chip mentioned before, Peak, both excellent books. Um, one thing you put as a quote in the start of one of the chapters was, to attain knowledge, add things every day. To attain wisdom, remove things every day. Lao Tzu. What have you removed from your world in the last, say, 100 days? that's had a profound effect on you as a man.
2: Uh, well, I don't know if it's profound, but I've I've stepped away from some board roles that I've had, where I've been on the board of organizations for many many years, knowing that it was time. Uh, it was hard to do it because I have lots of history there, and I like I like the the organizations. But I knew that in order to make space in my life, the only way I could do it is to actually um, start to actually say say notice of
3: mm. things.
1: Uh, where. For all the stuff you're doing, Chip, where's the best hub for people to go to to find more about you?
2: Chip Conley, C O N L E Y dot com, uh, and that's where you'll find out about Modern Elder Academy. And uh, I, I've written a, a bunch of articles on LinkedIn, so you can look at my LinkedIn profile as well.
1: The modern day uh, Modern Elder Academy in Baja is yes. that your house? It is.
2: It's actually oh, three acres. It, it,
1: it's multiple. It's
2: multiple houses. There there are four four houses there uh, and, and seven and a total of eight properties. So yes, thank you.
1: Only because having gone through the website for the Academy and seen how beautiful that location is, I think Mexico and Baja, probably apart from where I currently live, is probably my second most favorite place on the planet. It's absolutely beautiful. So worth checking out, folks, if you want to have a look at just a gorgeous, sure. inspiring property. Chip, Thank you, mate. I know how much you've got on your plate. I really appreciate
4: it. Thank you, guys. All right. The Mojo Radio Show. Simmer down you
5: noisy, screaming things. So there are two things that come out of that interview. Firstly, I wonder if he knows my friend Chip Potato. And secondly... God, I was corny. I that was is so corny.
4: <laughs> I, was,
5: <laughs> I was gonna leave that alone. You had to go there uh, though, didn't you? Secondly, I I was watching the TV the other week. The elderly people returning to the to the workforce actually have a name. Did you know that? they they're called the silver boomerangs because they're obviously grey haired and they've left the workforce and now they're starting to come back. So it's actually a thing. That's a thing. It's actually happening out there, it, not just in Japan. It's, it's here in Australia and I presume all over the world.
4: The Mojo Radio
1: Show. So to take us out, producer's choice of playout song, mm-hmm. what have you got? Well, I'm actually going to play two things. We talked about Billy Connolly before.
5: Everybody knows that, unfortunately, Billy's been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. Things don't look good for Billy. I was watching a special on Billy Connolly a couple of weeks ago on the telly he has the most amazing approach to the disease and to his ultimate fate. So I wanna play you that. And then there's the ultimate song about reaching the end of your life. So I reckon that's the best way to get out. So Lola, can we play those please?
3: I'm on it.
1: We are out.
3: i damn say near the end and I am the beginning, but it doesn't frighten me. It's an adventure. And it's quite interesting to see myself slipping away as bits slip off and leave me. Talents leave and attributes leave. And I don't have the balance I used to have. I don't have the energy I used to have. I can't hear the way I used to hear. I can't see as good as I used to. I can't remember the way I used to remember. And they all came one at a time and they were just slipped away, thank you. It's like somebody's in charge of you and and they're saying, right, I added all these bits when you were a youth. Now it's time to subtract. I can't work my left hand on the banjo. It's as if I'm being prepared for something, some other adventure, which is over, over the hill. I've got all this stuff to lose first. And, and then I'll be at the shadowy side of the hill doing the next episode in the spirit world
4: The Mojo Radio Show
3: Another
0: turning point A fork stuck in the road Time grabs you by the wrist Directs you where to go So make the best of this test And don't ask why It's not question about a lesson learned in time it's something unpredictable but in the end is right i hope you had the time of your life so take the photographs and still frames in your mind